2017, do you know what the number one fear globally was? Corrupt government officials. So bad. Around the world, everyone's number one fear is corrupt government officials. Uh, number two was artificial intelligence as a, as a fear. So I think too many people who grew up watching uh, Terminator are taking these surveys. Number three uh, was drinking polluted water. Uh, it's uh, really interesting uh, how uh, these things are changing, and you can actually track uh, the how, how fears and and things are are kind of changing in different communities. Uh, how many of you here this morning are scared of spiders? A uh, number of hands. The story is going to freak you out a little bit. I'm not scared of spiders. In fact, there's, um, I'm not really scared of anything uh, per se. Uh, things that kind of crawl around and snakes and spiders and those kind of things. I'm I'm generally okay with them. What I'm a little bit afraid of a lot afraid of, is their sudden movements. And a couple years ago, uh, myself and Inez, we lived in this this really old house that had uh, quite a lot of overgrown ivy. And uh, we're convinced uh, that uh, there was some radioactive spill in this ivy patch that produced uh, unofficially uh, the world's biggest rain spiders. We went to on holiday, and we came back. Uh, Aaron had just been born, and so from the trip, Inez said to me, Craig, please can you just quickly go and wash out the baby bottles, because those of you guys who have had kids, you know how rancid like formula can get um, after a couple of hours, so uh, washing that all out. And um, I had these yellow wash gloves that were hanging up uh, above the basin. So you're already like, just, yeah, you don't know where this is going, but already it's like freaking you out. I went to put them on, but they were stuck together. And so as I pulled them apart, uh, the largest rain spider ever recorded in history launched out of a nest it had made in my wash gloves onto my hands. Uh, yes, not a, not, not a great uh, moment in my life. I've never used wash gloves since. Uh, don't care how hot the water is. Like I just wash gloves, no, because rain spiders uh, live in them and uh, torment me. But so we all have things, right, that kind of tighten our chest, elevate our heart rate. Some of them we can laugh about. You know, we like to make fun of people who are scared of spiders and snakes and uh, things that crawl and moths. And uh, my aunt is hilarious. She's scared of uh, praying mantises and uh, those flying ones and had a couple when they go to. It's hilarious, actually, not to make fun of people's fears because it's a very real thing. You know, some of us are afraid of the dark, and uh, that's probably rooted uh, with something in the past. I just made it a side thing. It's something that I've uh, vowed to never do, and everyone in my family knows this. Uh, we've never given our kids frights in the dark. As uh, hilarious as it is to uh, see a child kind of get a fright in the dark, uh, we get to play hide-and-go-seek in the dark outside, uh, because there's nothing inherently scary about the dark. You know, it's just, everything is there that's in the day. It's just dark. But because, you know, you've maybe gotten a fright, and uncle's jumped out of the, the doorway um, and, and had a good laugh, you know, we uh, feel a little bit nervous uh, in the dark or, or alone. Maybe it's tight spaces. And a number of us have very real fears because of genuine things that have happened. I mean, we live in South Africa. Crime 
uh, is a massive reality. So uh, at nights at robots, uh, you go to a, maybe a rolling stop and then shoot through because of uh, some experience that you might have had or a loved one, uh, the kind of security systems we have at home, uh, because we're afraid of a lot of things. Uh, economically, uh, there's tough times, so there's fear around finances. Uh, we start to get afraid when it gets to maybe the 15th, 16th of every uh, month because of where our bank accounts are at. Some of us are afraid of where our health is at the moment. We're afraid for our children. Uh, some of us um, are afraid about our relational status. Some of us are afraid of where our marriages are at. If we're honest, um, a lot of us are putting on masks. We're pretending. We're projecting. But we're actually carrying a lot of fear with us. We also live in a country, um, and South Africa Men, we don't really have time for uh, weakness. Uh, we're tough guys. You know, it's uh, burnt offerings on the brow while we're watching rugby and we talk tough and we don't like to voice what we're afraid of. We don't share what we're feeling insecure about. And again, even globally, we've mentioned it during this series, the superhero culture that has gripped the world uh, so much is we, we love watching these brave, fearless characters who one person takes on, you know, a galactic uh, supervillain and prevails. And even then I was thinking about Spider-Man. That in his superhero-ness, he goes from being bitten by a radioactive spider, but even before that, he's not doing parkour and jumping off of buildings, and he's not this fearless person, but in his... Uh, shifting into this superhero, all of a sudden, he's brave and fearless and can do all of these things. And so in a way, we, we don't like uh, to talk about fear. We don't like to acknowledge weakness. We don't like to, to kind of go there. But I wonder if we had to get very real for a moment and go, no one's going to judge you. No one's going to think any different of you what it would look like for us to actually give words to some of the fears that are deep in our hearts. And hopefully this morning, you're going to be able to have a get real moment with God and be able to do that. Because we're talking about the mask of fear this morning. We've been doing this series, if you're just joining us, uh, looking at some of the things that hinder us uh, from God. Because when we pretend, it's not the real me. And so when we engage with people, we're only engaging with maybe a part of us or a part of ourselves. It's not even the real part of ourselves. So we're going to look at what God says about this. So uh, in your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Don't be ashamed if you need to use uh, the index um, of your Bible. Uh, you can use uh, a mobile device. It's also going to be up on the screen. And uh, we're going to read quite a lengthy bit this morning uh, to just give a little bit of context from the character that we're going to look at. And, and maybe just a little bit of a brief context. Uh, the book of Judges is weird. Uh, if any of you know uh, about it, it's, it's kind of hard to understand and wrap your head around because it's quite graphic. Uh, a lot of violence happens in it and it's quite weird to understand what's happening. Uh, but uh, the best context uh, to try and uh, understand uh, the whole book 
of Judges is it is definitely a foreshadowing of what's coming with Christ. And so what's happening is God's people, the Israelites, uh, they have, uh, it's kind of coming after Joshua, so they in the promised land. Uh, they haven't been there long, not super established uh, in the inheritance that God has given them. And uh, what happens a lot with God's people is uh, they'll sin. God brings judgment on them by an oppressing nation, usually. Uh, they'll feel the weight of that. And so then they'll repent and cry out to the Lord. And God will send someone uh, to deliver them and, and restore them back as God's people. And, and the book of Judges does that a lot. And it's usually kind of one person, God's spirit would be upon them. Uh, maybe some of the well-known ones are, are guys like Samson and things like that. And that's really the, the context of what's happening with each of the judges throughout uh, that history. And uh, we're going to be reading about one of them now. And it's very interesting to see what God does in this situation. So we are reading in uh, Judges chapter 6 from verse 1. And uh, I think we're going to probably read to about verse 16. So track with me uh, as we read about this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt Out of the land of slavery, I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them uh, from before you and I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in those lands you live. But you uh, have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in in, in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all uh, his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. And has put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord returned and said, Go in strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Really interesting time. 
here we see that as a country, they are living in daily fear. Now, some of you know what it is like to be living in constant fear. But for seven years, they have been so oppressed that they are hiding in the mountains, in caves. Here Gideon is threshing wheat in a, in a wine cellar, um, so afraid he can't be out in the open uh, because of the Midianites that have oppressed them so much. And I love how the Lord operates here. He's heard the cries of his people. He is going to deliver them from the Midianites. How does he do it? He finds someone that is the smallest in his family from the kind of the weakest clan in his tribe. Another way to put it is it looks like God is scraping the bottom of the barrel. When God looks at his people, who am I going to select to set my people free from the oppression that they're facing. He goes to the very bottom of the list. He picks the smallest, most insignificant person who is hiding underground to do his chores because of the fear of going outside. God looks at him and he calls him a a mighty warrior. Kind of so insecure, and uh, if you know a little bit more about the story, He's so insecure about himself that he doesn't even believe what God is saying to him. That he has to repeatedly test and make sure again and again and again that the Lord is actually going to say and do what he said he's going to do. Story continues where uh, he eventually does believe God. Uh, People are rallied to Gideon. An army of 30,000 Israelites uh, go to prepare to do battle against the Midianites, this huge army. But God then does uh, something which seems a little bit odd, is he whittles the army down. First, he he takes it from about uh, 30,000 to 10,000. And then again, from about 10,000 to about 300 people. And again, if you're in the story, uh, you couldn't even count how many Midianites uh, had invaded, uh, like locusts. But this is how God operates. And with 300 people, All the army does with Gideon is blow their trumpets and the entire nation of of the the Midianites destroy themselves. Uh, Sorry for it being so graphic, but they draw swords and they take each other out. And uh, God then uh, chases them out and and Israel is uh, delivered uh, from the Midianites. There's something that we miss sometimes quite often, uh, especially in the Old Testament, And God operates like this time and time again. If you think about uh, David and Goliath, uh, I think that story is sometimes preached so badly. And I've I've heard crazy sermons where uh, guys will say, you know, and he went down to the river and he picked five stones and the first stone represented courage and the second stone represented resilience. And they'll preach crazy things like that. And often what people miss is, is something, and there's a statement early on in that story which, which says the battle belongs to the Lord. And here God proves it again. A whole nation is in fear. Uh, they are reminded about what God does. And God fights the battle. 
He doesn't bring uh, the greatest warrior. He doesn't rally people around physical strength. He actually takes someone who has fear and who is insecure and is looked at with weakness and he delivers a whole nation. In the past, he used a boy to kill a giant. The way God operates is he makes sure that we know it is always him who is fighting for us. Time and time again, in fact, every time, God delivers his people. Think about when they came out of slavery. This was an unarmed slave nation on foot being chased down by the Egyptians who were one of the most advanced military powers of the time. Who won? The slave army unarmed on foot. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. How do 300 people led by the most insignificant man in that nation's, uh, or at the time, deliver one of the largest armies that they had ever faced. The battle belongs to the Lord. So many of us do live uh, with constant fear. In a church context, so many of us are afraid to get involved in relational community. Uh, We're afraid to join a small group. Uh, we're scared that we're going to have to open up uh, and make ourselves vulnerable. We're scared to um, join serving teams. So many of us um, are scared to uh, share our faith in a public setting because of uh, potential ridicule, because of being outcast in the office. We are scared of getting into uh, intellectual um, arguments uh, around faith because we don't want to uh, maybe represent a bad name or uh, to kind of look bad in front of our colleagues. There's so many things that uh, we are afraid of. I want to ask you a question. What is the opposite of fear? Uh, think about it a little bit because I, I know there are a host of answers. Um, maybe we can do it like a, a, a quick poll. Uh, how many of you think the opposite, or so the opposite of fear would be courage? Put your hand up. Uh, you're not going to get marked on this. You don't have to be afraid you're going to fail this. Okay, there's a, a not keeping score. Okay, some of you are tentative, and you're kind of, okay. So a number of you think um, it's, uh, it's fear, uh, it's, it's bravery. Um, maybe I should have thought of a few more of this. I was going on the fly. I don't think it's bravery uh, or courage. While those are good things, I don't think that that is the opposite of fear. I think when we, especially in a biblical uh, context, uh, I think the opposite of fear is what we call sonship. Uh, And if you're taking notes, I would write this down. What I uh, would propose to you is that the opposite of fear is sonship. Have a look what it says in Romans chapter 8 from verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship And by him we cry, Abba, meaning Father, it's a term of endearment. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. 
Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I think that is just so incredible. And this is uh, why I think and believe that the opposite of fear is sonship. Why did God keep his promises every single time in the Old Testament? He had made a covenant with his people. It was a covenant that he made and that he kept. Even when they sinned, even when his people failed them, he answered their cries for deliverance. How many times? Every time. God said the words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think of the Psalms when David writes, I was young and I was old, and this is true. I never saw the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. God made a promise, a covenant, which he kept with his people, and he has never failed it. That covenant comes into the New Testament, and we talk about the new covenant that we have with Jesus. We think about how uh, Gideon was weak. He was unassuming. No one would have looked or thought of him as the one to deliver Israel. And as I said, the best way to think of Judges or to look at Judges is to think of it as a foreshadowing of of Jesus. In fact, uh, if you ever are interested in really studying the book of Judges, there's a book by Tim Keller called Broken Saviors. And uh, he looks at every judge and how Jesus is a greater fulfillment of that. Uh, It really is a good book. Well worth you reading. But here again, someone comes in, uh, in, in a lack of strength. We know that there was nothing about Jesus that people would look to him or be drawn to him. If you think about his crucifixion, he was mocked, uh, beaten. Uh, the abuse and the ridicule that he experienced on the way to the cross. While he was even up on the cross, the taunts that was, uh, if you really are the son of God, come down off that cross. Prove yourself. Mocking him because he didn't have the strength to do that. He didn't have the strength to do all that he was claimed. But the irony of that was all the strength that he took to keep himself on the cross. Where again, the battle was being fought by the Lord. And this time was the battle of taking your sin and my sin and being a sin offering, dying, dying the death I should have died. But in that moment, creating the possibility that if I surrendered my uh, life and going, Jesus, I cannot save myself and I trust him for my salvation, I'm moved from being an enemy to an adopted son. And for uh, a lot of you this morning, an adopted daughter. I currently live my life with the cross behind me and eternity before me. I live in the reality that my savior died for my sin in my place. He then rose victoriously out of the grave by his own power, defeating what some of us is our greatest fear, that I'm going to die one day. My shame, he defeated it. 
I live my life with the victory of Jesus Christ behind me, the full victory of Jesus Christ, with the promise of him saying, I'm coming back. And so the victory of Jesus is behind me. Uh, The return of Christ is before me. And the reality of my life is I was an enemy of God, but now he looks at me and he says, Craig, you are my son. He's given me the righteousness of Christ and he's given me his spirits as a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. And that spirit testifies with my spirit saying, Craig, you are a son of God. He's not given us a spirit that makes us a slave to fear. And I'm not knocking the fears that you have. I uh, have to preach this message to myself on a very regular basis. Many of us have many fears. But the opposite of the fears in our life is the understanding of who we are in Jesus. The reason I'm able to overcome my fears is because not even death has a hold on my life. That I am an adopted son. I get to call God Father. The, the word Abba, it's, it's an intimate term, not an aloof, distant, cold. It's intimate, Father, Dad. That I'm even a co-heir with Christ. When I think of the promises of God, they are true for my life because of my position before him. I'm no longer an enemy, but I'm forgiven. He doesn't see me as sinful. He looks at me and he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. I'm in his family. Eternity is where my life is going. Fears are real. Fears can cripple us. Uh, Psychologists, don't shoot me down for this, okay? But uh, part of our brain, a couple of different parts, primitive brain, there's even a switch in there that when we are scared or we realize this is dangerous for me, it kind of triggers a a fight or flight response for self-preservation. And uh, even if you've had a bad experience, it can uh, really stay there so that if you find yourself in that kind of experience, again, your body warns you to get out of there. Great thing with the dark is you got a fright there once, it was imprinted on your brain. Now, every time you're in the dark, you're a little bit nervous because you know that potentially you're going to get frightened, get, a, get scared again. We understand how the brain works with fear. But what I'm hoping is that we're going to understand that there is something greater than the fears in our lives, and that is our position of sonship before the Lord. And of course, that's including you ladies with daughtership, but the Bible calls it sonship. That's our position before God because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're allowed to name our fears before the Lord. We're able to name our weaknesses. We're able to name those things that hold us back in life and uh, allow the Lord to minister to us, uh, reminding us of who we are and what we have in him. And then again, just even thinking about weakness and fear. Uh, I love this, uh, what Paul writes uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 Paul, um, at the time, uh, one of the greatest uh, missionaries the world's ever known, uh, he took the gospel to his generation. In fact, the reason we have a church even here this morning is because one guy uh, heard the call of the Lord and against great odds, 
uh, preached the gospel to his generation. But it was not always easy for him. And um, we'll start um, at, at verse 7 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there were given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I I, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The world might despise weakness. You might uh, hate your weaknesses or your limitations or your fears. Watch out, because uh, the Lord uses people with weaknesses. Uh, the Lord uses people with fears. Here is one of, maybe biblically, one of the most successful people from a ministry point of view who openly as a man declared, I will delight in my weaknesses. The mask's off. Because he says, when I am weak, then I'm strong because the Lord uses us in our weaknesses. The Lord used a guy who was hiding in a wine press, who was the smallest in his family from the weakest clan, a nobody, he delivered a nation. God used a boy to kill a giant. Weakness and fear is no obstacle to being used by the Lord. In fact, what the Lord hates is those who are proud. In fact, we know the Lord opposes the proud. Rather, you have weaknesses than a proud heart at all you've accomplished. And if you want the Lord to use you, it might be that he brings you to a place of weakness where you have no other choice but to cry out to the Lord for his deliverance in your life. I think we need to think very differently about weakness, about fear, uh, about insecurities. As a church and as a community and as people, we don't have to wear a mask and pretend we have it all together. Uh, We don't have to puff out our chest and pretend we're a tough guy. It's quite okay to say, I am afraid. It's not okay to stay there or to live in that without engaging in what the Lord has for your life. It is okay to say, Lord, help me understand who I am in you and use me in spite of. I know how many of us have fears of speaking out loud in public. But we have the Holy Spirit who can give us the words we need to say. I mean, I think so much of um, Hebrews 11 with uh, the hall of faith. They stepped out of the boat. They trusted the Lord. And as much as sonship is the response to fear, 
I really hope that so many of us are going to um, take courage from this and step out in faith. I wonder how many dreams this morning are locked away in afraid hearts. Where maybe the Lord has given you visions of what uh, he wants for your life, what he wants you to do with your life. Maybe it's social justice projects. Uh, Maybe in you is God's answer to poverty in South Africa. But fear is keeping it locked in. And what will unlock that is understanding who you are in Christ and that he's given you everything that you need. You're going, but Craig, I can't speak. I'm uneducated. Uh, What skills do I have? Uh, God looks for people like that Uh, because the battle is his. And when we're weak, he is strong. So we're going to wrap up this morning. And I get real moments is going, okay, God, yes, I have fears. Yes, God, I feel that I am inadequate in all of these areas of my life. Yes, God, I actually think of myself as weak. And I'm scared. I'm scared about my children. I'm scared about my marriage. I'm scared about my job. I'm scared about this country. Um, I'm scared to get involved in ministry. Um, I'm scared to ask out. I don't want to be rejected again. Uh, I'm scared for a number of reasons. Take the mask off and get real with God. And then pray, Holy Spirit, testify with my spirit that I am your child, that I am your son or I'm your daughter. And then say, God, use me in spite of myself. Use me in spite of my weaknesses. Use me in spite of my fears. Use me in spite of my insecurities. Because I want all the glory to go to you. We're going to uh, play a song uh, that will help facilitate this. Uh, You might know the song. But use this time to really get real. And then I'll pray for us and uh, then we'll close off at the end. Father God, I am so thankful for your grace and love in our lives. I'm so thankful that you do not despise weakness, but you use that to be strong in our own lives. I'm thankful that throughout uh, history, you have always proven yourself faithful, that we needn't fear because of who we are in you. That we don't even need to be afraid of death because death has no sting for those of us who believe in you. That it's just the next step in the journey. I'm thankful that we don't need to fear our finances because you said that you'll never see the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. I'm thankful that Jesus, you said that even Look at the birds, look at the the beautiful flowers in the field. They don't worry about their meals. And we are more precious and valuable to you. Lord God, thank you that you know us and that you love us. And I pray for everyone this morning who has genuine fears in their lives. That Holy Spirit, you would minister to them.
that you would replace their fears with a deep and sure understanding of sonship. Knowing that their very identity is a child of God. And that fear is replaced with the certainty of who you are. And that your promises are sure. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. That fear would be replaced by sonship. Amen. And as the song is playing, I invite you to uh, spend um, some moments getting real with God. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come.
was uh, Charles Spurgeon who said, I go to bed at night and I rest my head on the pillow of God's promises. If any of you would like a specific prayer into what's been said this morning, we do have a, a prayer team available that would love uh, to maybe go one step further with you this morning. And so please take that option. You just come in and sit in the front and, and they will come and pray with you. Uh, otherwise, there's some lovely tea and coffee and brownies at the back. And I wish you uh, a great rest of your week and see you here next week.